Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 112. Before we get into today's questions, a big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. Precision Hydration create electrolyte products that you can match to your individual sweat rate and sweat sodium content so that you can adequately replace the sodium that you lose for your sweat, whether you are a high-sodium sweater or a low-sodium sweater. You can take a free online sweat test on their website, and that will give you a good ballpark estimate for how much you lose and therefore how much you should replace. Now that we are heading into the indoor training season, where you might sweat quite profusely depending on your level of ventilation that you have, it might be a really good time to experiment a bit with electrolytes and uh, thinking about how you should replace and replace them to optimize training performance. You can get 15% off your order with the promo code DETTRIATHLONSHOW15 on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses. And they are currently running holiday sales, so you can get up to 50% off of select products, and this uh, sale will last until December 1st. Uh, if there are products that are not on sale, definitely go to roca.com forward slash TTS, and they will give you 20% off any products that are on regular pricing. Of course, if you are getting uh, products that are on sale, it uh, would be uh, massively appreciated if you could uh, contact Roka through some of their channels, whether it's uh, email or social media, and let them know that you came from that triathlon show so that they can keep knowing that they get a positive ROI on their sponsorship, which is uh, very important for the sustainability of uh, this podcast. Also, I want to quickly mention that we still have some slots left for the uh, training camp that we're having on the 10th to 17th of April on Mallorca, a scientific triathlon training camp for our athletes, but also for podcast listeners. So there are some slots left. Go to scientifictriathlon.com forward slash camp to learn more, uh, see all the details, email me if you want to further information and send in your application on that web page and to uh, secure your slot on the camp. Now let's get into today's questions, uh, which are from Sonde in Norway, who writes, Hi Michael, and thank you for a great podcast. Uh, my first question is how to make good decisions in uh, changing your training for the next training block based on your performance testing. Let's say you do some initial testing, whether it's an FTP test, a 5km run time trial, or a CSS test in swimming, and so on. And then you go and train for a block of training, and you retest 8 weeks later. If you perform better, should you continue with the same training? What about if you perform the same or worse? Should you change the training? What are some guidelines, questions to ask yourself on how to change the training, if that case? Let's assume that external factors such as sleep, nutrition, stress from work, and so on are all optimized for training and stay constant. So this is a really good question. Thank you for sending it in. There are different ways of approaching this. So what I'll share here is what I do in my coaching. And it starts with always having a prioritization plan for, for all my athletes. 
where I have outlined what I think they will be focusing on each training block or training week over the course of the year. And I say that I, what I think, because this is what I plan at the outset, but then uh, we get more information, we get more data, we get uh, an, a view into the, how the athlete responds, and then some things change, some things don't change. But uh, the initial periodization plan will almost never be followed 100%, but it's still important to have that plan. So when I have athletes do testing in the way you describe, uh, typically that testing would happen at the end of a particular training block. And uh, in the periodization plan that I have for them, uh, it, I will already have planned to change the training focus in some way after the testing for this reason, because I just tend to like the timing of having the tests in uh, the last week of a block. It's not always the case, but it's often the case. So as an example, maybe the athlete does testing after an initial block focusing primar primarily on aerobic endurance. And then the next block that I have planned uh, has uh, an emphasis on uh, including more moderate or high intensity training. So that's, that's the initial plan. And even before the athlete does the test, we have like a direction that that is what we're planning on doing. So then the question for me isn't whether the athlete should keep doing the same training or do something different, but rather the question really is, should we stick to the plan or should we change the plan? And I do think that having this kind of long-term plan uh, is really important. Of course, it shouldn't get too rigid. You need to be prepared to look at the evidence of the athlete's progress and change the plan accordingly or tweak it or just slightly update it as and when needed. That's something that is done on a daily, weekly and monthly basis. Uh, but, uh, but still, I think that that long-term plan is uh, quite essential for optimal training. So if we look at the two scenarios with this background in mind, knowing that we already have a plan in place. First, the athlete did perform better in the new test, the recent test, compared to the previous test eight weeks earlier. More often than not, this means simply stick to the plan that you already have in place. But it also depends a bit on what testing methodology you're using. So if the athlete is doing one of the tests that you mentioned, which are pure field tests. So by that, I mean, you don't measure lactate or VO2 or anything like that. You just measure performance, uh, like the power over 20 minutes or the speed over five kilometers or time for 20 for five kilometers. Then usually it's pretty simple. You keep following the plan if you saw an improvement in the performance. And uh, again, that might still mean that the training changes, but it changes according to what you had already planned to do. There might be some exceptions where you have strong reasons to change it, but that would probably not be related to the test itself, but more so how the athlete has reacted over the course of the training period. However, if you are using some testing method that gives you, uh, that is more metabolic, for example, you get some information about the underlying mechanisms of improvement, such as, uh, for example, an inside test, a lactate test, or a gas exchange test then what you find about how those improvements happened may cause you to rethink what your plan was. So for example, if you find that your improvement in the test came from mostly an improvement in anaerobic capacity, then maybe you would change the plan. Maybe you had planned to do a block of high-intensity interval training, with that being something that was of primary focus, but with the knowledge that you saw a big uh, increase in anaerobic capacity from over the previous block then maybe 
doing more high intensity intervals is not the right way to go so you might want to change your plan and focus more on purely aerobic training so that would be an example of uh, how depending on the testing methodology the the outcome might be different the second scenario if you perform worse in the second test than you did eight weeks previous uh, here again there is an advantage of using more sophisticated tests than field tests and uh, looking under the hood getting an idea of why you performed worse and if the reason that you performed worse is actually aligned with the training that you did and uh, the plan you have going forward uh, then you might still proceed with the plan just the way you did it might be unexpected uh, performance decrease or or not improvement in the test but because you're working on something that for whatever reason uh, is will have better sort of medium to long-term effects so so that could be one example and for example this might happen if you're really focusing purely on the aerobic endurance side of things you might not see great improvements initially over that eight-week block in a css test on the swim for example because it's very high intensity it's very short and the same sort of thing depending on what testing methodology you use on the bike and the run but it might still be the best way to go and you might not you might know that okay maybe we we didn't see that improvement in in performance but we perhaps with another testing methodology with an insight test with a lactate test we saw that the underlying mechanisms are positive and it's going in the direction we wanted that means that you just stick to the plan uh, you don't need to change it but in some other uh, situations maybe you do see that uh, well the mechanisms underlying the not improving weren't exactly what you expected so so maybe that will cause you to change the plan if on the other hand you use one of the field tests you mentioned and you only have the actual performance in the test to guide you then you simply need to conduct an analysis for why you didn't improve uh, without having access to any of this physiological test data if we assume uh, as you say that everything around training was constant nutrition work uh, sleep etc we only need to think about what happened training wise then the primary things to look at would include your training volume your training intensity distribution and what your key workouts actually looked like compared to the period before your previous test you should also assess how you actually felt in the workouts and use all of this information to make a hypothesis for why you did not improve for example uh, did you feel strong when doing extended moderate intensity work but felt that you didn't really have anything when it came to top end work really high intensity work or the other way around or something else entirely this kind of assessment can give you some indications uh, at least some some guesses as for the underlying mechanism behind you're not improving and and this should as i said be combined with uh, the actual training analysis so numbers such as training volume training intensity and the content of key workouts for example how much time did you spend in the in the zone five in a vo2 max workout how, how much time in zone four in threshold workout and so on and uh, and those knowledge of, of those things can strengthen or weaken your hypothesis so then once you have your best most likely hypothesis clear in your own mind you should ask yourself was this me not improving an acceptable result given the focus of the training block so again we can come back to that same example maybe you had you are naturally a very anaerobic athlete and the focus of your training block was to improve the aerobic side and maybe you did improve your aerobic side 
but you might have weakened your anaerobic engine so the net effect was a wash in a 20 minute bike test or a five kilometer run test or a css test in the pool but that might be perfectly fine if you're a triathlete that might be like exactly what you were after because aerobic capacity is what you need to focus on and not anaerobic capacity so or perhaps let's say you did a block very focused on one discipline on swimming so your bike and run volume simply wasn't high enough for them to improve but maybe your swim improved a lot and in both of these cases even though the performance in the test didn't improve you could still say that you achieved the overall objectives you targeted of that previous block and it was successful so so maybe the best thing to do is to just go ahead and keep following the plan you had in these situations so to summarize there's not really a clear if this then that answer but when you test you always even when you improve want to figure out why that happened what, what was the mechanism behind the improvement and or not improvement and and simply use that as input information when asking yourself whether the plan you have in place still is the best path going forward given the new information that you now have all right so Sondes, uh, second question is the theory and application of moderate intensity training for swimming biking and running uh, a what is the definition of moderate intensity what is the difference if any between zone 3 tempo moderate intensity training lt1 rpe 4 to 6 etc all right so this is a bit of a rabbit hole but it's really good that you ask because for newer listeners and more beginner athletes especially it can be very confusing so we have yeah a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, terms here to to cover Low intensity training, moderate intensity training, and high intensity training are is a way to describe to split training intensities into three different domains, and uh, this is used quite often, for example, in the polarized training research papers or training intensity distribution research papers. We we can have this sort of this terminology used, and uh, the demarcation points between the low and the moderate intensity. Uh, training zones there would be lt1 or vt1 and that stands for the first lactate threshold or the first ventilatory threshold and they are not the same but they are usually very similar the difference is that the first one comes from uh, an assessment based on lactate and the second the ventilatory threshold comes from an assessment based on a gas exchange uh, test and then the demarcation point between the moderate and the high intensity uh, training zones there would be correspondingly lt2 or vt2 so the second lactate and ventilatory thresholds and corresponding to lt2 and vt2 again not being the exact same but trying to uh, trying trying to estimate the same kind of transition point more or less would be terms such as functional threshold power or critical power or maximum lactate steady state so if we go the the abbreviations would be ftp or cp or mlss and in some of the scientific literature, for example, the, the polarized training literature, but also in uh, some coaching methodologies, uh, typically they, they might use a three-zone system. So zone one, zone two, and zone three would be the three training zones. And zone one would be the low-intensity training zone, and zone two, the moderate-intensity zone, and zone three, the high-intensity zone. But this is uh, a very important point. You you can never know for sure when a person says, like talking about zone two, for example, whether what what zonal system that person is referring to. Are they talking about a three zone model or a five zone model or something else? 
so you should never assume uh, and a person talking about zones should always define their zones uh, because there are so many different ones out there it is likely i would say that most people talk about the five zone system where if we describe the five zones qualitatively zone one would be recovery or very easy training zone two would be endurance or steady training zone three would be tempo or moderate training uh, in running terms we could talk about marathon pace when it comes to zone three zone four would be threshold so for runners again we could as an example say half marathon to 15k or 10 mile pace for for faster runners and for slow runners maybe around 10 kilometer pace for zone four and uh, some systems have zone four end right at your uh, second threshold your anaerobic threshold but in some systems it goes a bit above threshold uh, frankly i don't think that it really makes that much of a difference uh, whether it goes a little bit above or it ends right at the threshold but that's a difference uh, that you need to be aware of that when somebody talks about zone four it might be at most threshold but when somebody else talks about zone four it might be possible that they're actually training slightly above threshold uh, either way zone five is uh, you could describe as maximum aerobic capacity which would be between 10k and mile pace for fast runners or between 5k to mile pace for for slower runners uh, very roughly speaking again but then uh, to make things even more confusing and this is something that we've had in a couple of recent episodes interviews on that triathlon show is that in some other scientific literature we don't refer to the training zones or training domains by low intensity moderate intensity and high intensity uh, but we actually refer to the training domains and this is typical in for example research about uh, critical power uh, it comes to mind this is something that we talked about with mark burnley quite a bit and when we're talking about the training domains here in this context we have the moderate domain the heavy domain the severe domain and the extreme domain and the moderate heavy and severe would correspond to the low moderate and high intensity so so moderate moderate intensity training is not the same as training in the moderate domain because low intensity training is the same as training in the moderate domain and uh, that is again something that is a bit unfortunate that there are so many different uh, confusing uh, terminologies to keep track of but that's just the way it is uh, but these this system with the domains is really mostly used in the scientific literature but you will hear people on uh, in the interviews on that triathlon show talk about this so you need to be aware of the differences here between the moderate domain which is low intensity training and moderate intensity training which is the heavy domain whereas high intensity training is the severe domain and the extreme domain is when you go above your vo2 max so basically above high intensity training uh, what's good for listeners of this podcast is that personally at least i try to be pretty consistent in my use of terminology when i talk about zones i i talk about a five zone model uh, unless otherwise specified and uh, i like to talk about low intensity training moderate intensity training and high intensity training uh, that are demarcated by lt1 and lt2 or correspondingly the aerobic and anaerobic threshold so lt1 would be the aerobic threshold and lt2 the the anaerobic threshold so i i don't really talk about the moderate domain or the heavy domain and i also don't talk about a three zone system with zone one zone two zone three i talk about the five zone system with with zones up to zone five even zone six when you go above the vo2 max uh, so Tempo is another uh, term that you ask about, and that is a label that has been given to 
Zone 3 training in the very popular training system by Andy Cogan for cycling. Uh, I believe at least that uh, this is where it first came to, to prominence, really, when at least in terms of using tempo as, uh, as a label for moderate intensity training. Because tempo training has been in existence in uh, running terminology for a longer time, a much longer time, I believe. But when runners talk about doing tempo runs, they're actually often referring to runs that are at what would be around their threshold intensity. And they're absolutely not wrong in doing this because, again, they're probably the first ones to, to use this term. But among triathletes, the Kogan zones are so well established that when I uh, talk about tempo training, whether it's running, cycling or swimming, it is that training in zone three. So from above LT1 to a bit below LT2. And then you ask about RPE and RPE46. Uh, so I generally advise that a workout right around LT1, so the high end of zone 2, should feel like a 5 out of 10. Uh, but as you get into the mid to high end of zone 3, then your RPE would be more like a 6, maybe even a 7 at the high end of zone 3. Uh, that, that would be my my advice. So so your 46 is a bit on the low end like four would definitely to me be a zone two workout five would also be like the very high end of zone two which is uh, in in essence the same as the low end of zone three so you could argue that five would also be part of your moderate intensity training uh depends on how you how you skew it and it really doesn't matter but when i prescribe training in zone three I would expect that RPE would be generally, let's call it six out of ten, would would be my standard, and and then it could be go up to seven. So hope that this clarifies some of the definitions and the terms, and uh, that you are now uh, we are now all on the same page about what we're talking about when we're talking about moderate intensity training. Then question B from Sunday is: What are the physiological benefits of doing moderate intensity? So the first one that I would say is that, uh, well, first, let's cover a little bit about muscle fibers just briefly. We have different types of muscle fibers, slow twitch or type 1 muscle fibers, and fast twitch that we have uh, that are type 2 muscle fibers, but we have both two A fibers that can work in a combination of uh, anaerobic and the aerobic metabolism, and then two X that are very much anaerobic fibers with very limited capacity to, to work aerobically. And uh, one particular benefit of moderate, moderate intensity training is that it makes the type 2A fibers more effective at producing energy aerobically. Uh, so they become less anaerobic, more aerobically dominant and get more resistant to fatigue. They can work for longer that way. So that is a, a key advantage of moderate intensity training. Be able to utilize more of your 2A fibers for aerobic energy production and they will be able to do that for longer when you train them and they get more resistant to fatigue. A second key benefit is, uh, well, not physiological per se, but specificity. Uh, I'm not going to elaborate too much, but uh, no matter what racing you're doing, a certain amount of specific training is important to maximize performance. Coaches, of course, differ in just how much specific training is deemed the right dose and how much focus is placed on it. But I don't think there are any coaches that would argue against the importance of having some specificity in their training. And since moderate intensity is race pace at, for example, the Olympic distance and uh, the half distance triathlon, even full distance triathlon, if you're a faster athlete, then this 
aspect of getting specific training done is another key benefit of moderate intensity training and uh, then potentially working on your economy around race pace i should say here that i'm actually really not sure if there is strong evidence that your economy improves more effectively at the paces that you actually train at but anecdotally i would say that this is a potential benefit that when you are doing uh, more training around whatever intensity you're working at then you get like a, a an economy boost around that around that intensity so so this is something that is more a bit more speculative on my part but but i think that is one of the reasons that specificity is important potentially at least question c is who should be doing moderate intensity work sprint distance athletes ironman athletes beginners professionals and so on so if you are targeting events that fall into the moderate intensity bucket so as i mentioned uh, olympic distance half distance maybe ironman distance depending on your level then you should definitely be doing a fair amount of it in my opinion that means yeah anybody focusing on olympic and half distance triathlon should definitely be doing a fair amount of it advanced athletes focusing on the full distance should also be doing it uh, maybe if you're a true beginner then you don't need to focus as much on it even if you're targeting the olympic and half distance events because you might actually be going uh, slower than moderate well definitely for the half distance you would be going at the low intensity domain most likely but and the olympic distance you might be doing that as well so for beginners maybe you don't need as much of a focus on moderate intensity training but generally speaking for most athletes those events all indicate that you should have some specific focus on it in running if you're a slower runner then in particular when if you're focusing on the 10k and the half marathon distances then moderate moderate intensity training becomes a focus and for faster runners moderate intensity training is a focus if you're targeting half marathon to marathon distances to some extent though even regardless of your race focus i think every triathlete should be doing at least some moderate intensity training if nothing else because i do believe that over the course of a training year you should not completely neglect any given intensity range because you can get those low-hanging fruit by doing something of everything so to say but more importantly i think there are specific physiological benefits far beyond just race specificity so i mentioned uh, again for example that the fact that you you can get your 2a fibers to be more fatigue resistant and be more aerobic and even for a sprint distance athlete even though they may not be racing in the moderate intensity zone at least if you're a fast athlete you will be uh, you'll be in the high intensity zone but there's st there are still benefits to be had in being able to make those 2a fibers more oxidative and fatigue resistant because you will be going for 50 minutes 60 minutes so so it's still highly beneficial it's still a long endurance event there are not that many endurance events that are as long as 50 to 60 minutes uh, which a sprint triathlon is on the extreme side of things uh, though i should say that if you're a rower that you're racing in events lasting six minutes then i think that moderate in intensity training has much less value and would be a very small part of your training question d is when in the season should moderate intensity training be done and how frequently so this you could slice and dice in many different ways 
With advanced athletes, I like to work in kind of like a block periodized manner. So when we do moderate intensity training, we might do blocks of it lasting anywhere from two to five or six weeks. And uh, of course, alongside that training, we have ever-present low intensity training, endurance training. But but in those blocks, the, the key sessions would be the moderate intensity sessions, and we would do them quite frequently, a lot of them within within a block. So in early blocks and in the early part of the season, and again, this is how I coach. This is not like the one and only answer, but uh, but this is just to describe my, my model. In early blocks of the season, like right now in November, the blocks would be shorter. We could, make, for example, do a two-week block with a focus on moderate intensity training. But later on, as we get closer and closer to races, they will get longer because moderate intensity training will become relatively more important because that is where almost all of my athletes will be racing uh, given their abilities and uh, their race distances assuming that the athlete is training every day then and, and even multiple times per day on certain days then early in the season you might be doing that would be now, now for example you might be doing three moderate intensity workouts one per discipline for example and uh, the balance would be a lot of uh, aerobic uh, aerobic work low intensity work but later on, as you get into the race-specific phase, you might be doing five or six moderate intensity workouts per week. But remember that there should always be enough room for, first of all, rest and recuperation so that you can not only do the training, but recover from it and adapt to it. But also, you should never completely neglect the low-intensity training, the endurance training. It always needs to be there. So, so the athlete's training volume and their ability to recover from the training really determines how much you should be doing but it might be as i said up to five to six times per week for more beginner athletes i think there is a, a case for for having a periodization that is more of what you might call a daily undulating periodization which ensures that you do a little bit of moderate intensity training every week and a little bit of high intensity every week and a, a fair amount of low intensity training of course so it might look like doing one moderate intensity workout and one high intensity workout per week and the rest of it endurance and that would be at least in the early part of the season and you could uh, alternate in which disciplines you do what so in the moderate versus high intensity training from week to week assuming you're a triathlete of course if you're a runner for example then the classic one tempo run and a true tempo run here like a zone three run and one interval run and then the rest endurance would be a, a great great example for the more beginner athletes because that just keeps that yeah the daily underlying periodization makes sure that you get a little bit of a stimulus of everything and a little bit of a stimulus is usually enough when you're a more beginner athlete versus a very experienced athlete that might need a bit of more of a shock to the system to improve which is why block periodization would be my preference for them question e is when in relation to other high intensity sessions should moderate intensity work be done should it be the day before the day after or the same day or what do you think so if i include both high intensity and moderate intensity training in the same training training block i also always want the high intensity training to be done when you're the freshest and for the moderate intensity training it depends on how hard that workout is and how important it is if it is a very challenging and important key workout, then you definitely want to have a day of lighter training before that workout as well. 
But if it's not the hardest, then it can be done the day after a high-intensity training session. And it is even possible to do them on the same day in that case, but then the, the moderate-intensity session shouldn't be all that challenging, really. And I also recommend that if you do that, that one of the workouts should be a swim, so uh, so that you would, for example, do a high-intensity swim in the morning and a moderate-intensity uh, bike in uh, the afternoon or evening rather than do a bike and run because then you're using so similar muscle groups in a lot in the lower body and you might be very uh, depleted and not ready to do the second workout at the level that you should be doing it but generally speaking it depends on how fresh you need to be and how important the workout is if you need to be fresh for that moderate intensity workout then you should be rested for it take an easy day an easier day before that um, but you should always be fresh for the high intensity training because that's how you will really benefit from the high intensity training. And don't, don't do that when you're experiencing any sort of significant fatigue. Question F is what are some common mistakes of planning and executing moderate intensity sessions? So I would say that there are two that are far more common than any other. And number one is going too hard. And number two is not going long enough. I think it's very typical to go too hard but not go long enough and uh, think that well that is a good session because it got you very tired but what would have given you the better possibility of adaptation is to have gone slightly easier but to have gone longer the very typical example here will be a 20 minute tempo run which again because as i mentioned tempo run for runners is usually something around threshold and uh, it might even be a bit faster. So, so if you're a reasonably experienced athlete and you want to move the needle with your with your threshold, with your LT two or your uh, or your anaerobic threshold, then I think that you just need way more dosage than just twenty minutes of work. I would say at least thirty up to forty minutes. So, a better workout would be to do four to five times eight minutes with two to four minute recoveries. That would be a perfect workout. Uh, a lot of runners that do a 20 minute tempo run they they do it at kind of a 95 percent effort uh, so it's not quite all out but it's not that far off and uh, they simply can't imagine going any longer than 20 minutes because yeah you're knackered after that and the reason for that is that you're running actually right at threshold or uh, slightly above threshold even and that may, means that you have to sacrifice duration for the intensity and it would be better to do that four or five times eight minutes and go a bit below threshold. Let's say your threshold is four minutes per kilometer. Uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, doing your threshold training in that case at between 405 and 410 per kilometer. So so that would be your target pace and you would do four to five times eight minutes of, of that and get a stronger duration stimulus, even if your intensity is slightly lower. Whereas the alternative for that athlete might be that they actually go and run at 355 for 20 minutes or even 350 for 20 minutes. Uh, it is something that I see quite commonly. And there are, of course, countless examples of this in triathlon as well. And uh, when these mistakes occur, the workout simply fails to hit the mark. Uh, remember that duration is uh, very often trumps intensity there are maybe some ex exceptions to that but but in many cases i think this is not just a problem with moderate intensity sessions but with many types of sessions and question g what are some examples of good classic moderate intensity workouts for swimming biking and running 
All right, so uh, please keep in mind that these workouts can and should be scaled according to ability level. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, here you go. These are just examples, of course. For the swim, a good classic moderate intensity workout would be six to eight times 400 meters at a pace that would be maybe four or five seconds per 100 slower than your CSS. So if your CSS is 130, you might be swimming at 135 pace per 100 meter. And recoveries might be anywhere from 20 seconds to, to one minute. I wouldn't be afraid in swimming to have slightly longer recoveries than what is conventional, uh, because I think that quite often the conventional recoveries are too short. But maybe a typical recovery for 400 meters, I might give 40 seconds. So, so that would be a simple example. Uh, for the bike, uh, a typical classic session would be two times 30 minutes at 85% of FTP with five minutes recovery. And uh, depending on the objective of the session, there might also be some cadence specifications, some low cadence, maybe some high cadence. So uh, yeah, that could be included as well. But the basic recipe is pretty sim simple. And similarly for the run, maybe uh, two times 30 minutes is, is quite a lot. Definitely for a marathon runner, uh, it would absolutely be done. But for a triathlete, uh, maybe focusing on the half distance or so, then a great workout would be to do two times 25 minutes at marathon pace or slightly faster. So let's say you can do a marathon in four minutes, 20 seconds uh, per kilometer, then you would do two times 25 minutes at that pace and and you might take five minutes recovery between those reps and you would even choose a, a rolling rolling route route to get some uh, some different stimuli in terms of like going uphill and downhill and learning how to run both uphill and downhill effectively as well so those would be great great examples of moderate intensity workouts on swimming biking and running uh, then Sondre has a third question, which is essentially the same questions that we discussed here for moderate intensity training, but uh, related to threshold intervals. So we will actually tackle that because that too is uh, very much worth discuss discussing, but this episode is getting long. So we'll discuss that on next week's Q&A. So that's it for today. Uh, please go to scientifictriathlon.com and check out our training camp uh, the 10th to 17th of April on Mallorca fill out the application there and uh, i hope to see you next april also of course uh, you can check out our information about coaching and training plans and so on if that's something that you're interested in big thanks to our sponsors precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com go and get a free hydration plan and get 15 percent off your order of electrolytes with the promo code that triathlon show one five and thank you to roca that you can find on roca.com Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. Remember that their holiday sales are now on, so it's worth going and getting up to 50% off on some products. If there are any products that you're looking for that are not on sale, then you can get 20% off of them anyway with a special coupon code for that Triathlon Show listeners that you can find on roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.